So what year did this thing get go? Did Piety Street get going? How did it go? What, what year did it? Oh, two thousand and one. Two thousand one. Okay. And you, this isn't you. You by yourself. Well, no. I mean, the idea was that I didn't. What I wanted to do was have a small room where I could mix and work, and I wanted to have access to a big studio. So for the projects that I could do, and the idea of this of this building was like hook this up so I could sort of um, <laughs> oddly enough stop doing a lot of this stuff and go back to writing and developing things and working with bands and you know and writing for and I had access to writing for games and that's kind of stuff and I had real sort of jobs at that point and then it's funny how it never none of that transpired and I ended up doing even more of this kind of stuff even more recording and mixing and producing than I ever did well it seems like you started to get a lot of business in here which is um seems paradoxical considering what, what was I know I mean that's the, the thing we're like the oxymoron it's like a successful studio that started in 2001 and has lasted 10 years yeah yeah really so you who knows no, you have no idea why that is I don't know people like it in here but I couldn't I can't really I mean I could sit down and list possible reasons why but you know uh, I guess that the end of it is all that usually what comes out of here sounds really good assuming there's something good going into the microphones at what point did you really stop using the analog machines very much I haven't yet no, I know, but, but, I, mean, but I don't see them on most of the time. Um, let's see. I used them. Um, I, mean. I used them on Jerry Douglas in yes, I saw February. That. Used them. Used them on Marianne Faithful. Used them. Joe Henry used used them on Hugh Laurie. Used them. On, yeah, so they're they're in use. It just that the year average thing, like when, like this thing last week when we had, you know, forty inputs going. How do I use an- what I t- took up two analog machines and then <laughs> then route this and do- it turns into you know you're trying to you know make the technical side of the world invisible not add to it yeah and you know and you should hear that record it's like it sounds like it, was a, it sounds like a hi-fi chess record as big as a bar- you know it's amazing sounding and that's because it has Rod Piazza who sounds like Little Wall you know and all the players were great and so it's really what goes in not what you know. What point did it start to be that you were getting these? I mean, like, how did you start getting big sort of names in here and everything and the um, international thing? And I don't. It's hard to say. I mean, it just kind of just kind of snowballed that way. You know, exactly. the first thing we were doing cash money stuff at first. You know, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know that and and though although New Orleans, no one in New Orleans ever wants to talk about it. I mean, the most influential stuff coming out of here in the last 20 years has been, you know, made by people in the projects that have never once appeared at Jazz Fest. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. that's, that's the way that goes. And, uh, yeah, and I think, well, Less Than Jake came in here in 2002, maybe. Mm-hmm. And we and the first thing we did, the first session ever was... Um, O'Teal and one of the dudes from Fish oh. and Russell Batiste it's called right. Vita Blue and right. from that and that record sounded cool and what happens is you know there's at one point there was 50 engineers that made all the records in the world <laughs> and now there's like more but because there's millions of things done all the time and there's no business 
So just uh, 10 years ago, there so, was very few. Yeah, 10 years ago, a lot of the and record labels, there were, you know, 50 producers made, were, you know, uh, repped by these three agencies, and they, can, they, you know, the music business, you could break it down to Who were those these people. Who were those producers then? Oh, you know, you know them all. Brendan, Brendan O'Brien, Malcolm Byrne, uh, right. on and on. You know, just the people that were working. Um, how do you think they? How did they get hooked up with all? Uh, you know, Coke buddies. <laughs> right. The old system. <laughs> the old, the old system. Like, <laughs> cool hang Coke. Uh, you know, they like the they kind of like the same color shirts. You know, whatever. I mean, who knows why people join together in packs? You know, why do people live in Metairie? They all you go to these streets and they all have boats. You know, and some of these these record producers, they all have this. And you know, they had good facial hair and leather jackets. I don't know. You know, is there any there been any major shifts in musical style and stuff that you've seen since uh, the '90s or the Boiler Room period? Or? Oh, shift in musical styles. Well, more and more people are using their laptops to do things, and there's all kind of stuff related to like the world, like girl talk and stuff, which is, you know, people layering and doing mashups and non musicians essentially making really interesting music out of other people's music. Yeah. That seems to be like a, a, collage. a new, the collage world has taken yeah. over. And then as far as playing goes, it's interesting because there's way more people now that know how to play jazz, and that's why I think there's all these kids playing all the time, because half of them, they go to school and they learn this, and they learn, they learn how the harmony actually works, and then... You know, they don't want to go out and be the next Woody Guthrie or Neil Young or Bright Eyes or Will Oldham. They want to be, you know, play. Is it, is it as interesting to you as, say, you know, those pictures of you up there playing with Kid Jordan? And, uh... No, man. We're going to start playing again, and then we'll, that'll take it into another realm. We can offend people again in, the, in this decade. Let's talk about that. What are the pleasures of offending people? Well, it's not really offending. It's just like giving playing something that is too much for people to handle. Maybe the sound pressure is too much. Maybe you have too many highs. When I heard Lucas Ligeti the other night, he had this thing where some of the, the sounds were, they were so high and so loud that it was like, and I could see people squirming, and I kind of dug it because mm -hmm. I was like in there. But... Suppose, you know, when you're going in that density-intensity world and it's great if you can shut your eyes and relax and take it, but most people don't have a big attention span for music. And so if you're asking them to come in and go along on this experience with you and say typically they maybe they'll go to like the, you know, open ears thing and hear people go up and, you know, do this so-called free music, which to me has always like been an oxymoron. You know, it's like... That that meant free jazz from the uh, confines of nightclubs and cigarette smoke and booking agents and just make it, let it be what it can be and let it be a social force and all that. And then somehow that got twisted around. Maybe it was, you know, Frank Kofsky books. I don't know what happened, but, you know, the uh, somehow people decided they could actually, people that weren't masters of music, because even masters of music are, deal with this with trepidation, People will go in and just go up on a stage and all start playing. Mm. And then you learn techniques to make that interesting. But most of the time, I'm like, 
Oh, he wanted me to put me to sleep, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so the thing when you go out with kid and you play that stuff, and it's a different thing because you're making textures and timbres, and I, I don't think they're new because they can't be that new if we know about them when we're using them. Somebody else already did too. And kid basically wants to play his horn and rock and 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 you know just make. He likes to make. You know, other unseen beings come flying in from everywhere and join the party. Now, this is a kind of concept that you know you're at. Most people are like, "Oh, you think you're actually you're bringing spirits in when you play?" I'm like, "Yeah, isn't that what we do?" And they're like, "Ah, okay, buddy." You know, and so you get like they, yeah, people think people think you're nuts, and so that's. I think so. It's funny that you don't go deeper. What is that about? Let's say, let's, 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 let's take let's take the, the spirit thing. Very unmodern. What is it about to be bringing spirits in? Well, it's it's kind of like somebody who's really fat. They know how to eat. Oh. <laughs> we had to bring spirits in. What is it? Yeah, I don't know. You yeah, know, but it's like how do you how do you commune? I mean, but people are doing this all over the world, right? Sure and they, that's been what music was about, to get that to happen. So bringing in spirits off of... Uh... Well, I mean, so, okay, you go to around the world and think about how, how the music works that's drum-related and what people do, and, and the, the Indian music that's... I mean, you basically, you go into a state and you're listening and you go somewhere and it, it relates to the notes of the music and the rhythms and all that, but... You know, who has ever done a great description of that, of what really happens? And I, well, no, you but, know. but actually people don't talk about it actually being what the, the, the central, a central feature very much in, in stuff, you know, so that's why I'm asking, because you said it, you know, this is what kids are doing. Yeah, well. And, and people, and, and, and actually you'd think that people would be attracted to that. Why would they well, they're, it's scary to them, and especially scary when... You know that's why kid. I mean, playing the jazz fest it just seems like an absurdity for kid sell to. It's a ticket to the haunted house. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. It's something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, give them some three D glasses. Maybe they'll actually see it. You know? Yeah, that'd be great. Right? Give them some kind of something. Kid in three D. What? What? <laughs> so I mean, that's a hard. Now I mean, you can go through. You can go into the Cuban stuff, and you can go. Are you this? Yeah. I'm sorry, Miss Hall. <laughs> it's okay. I can cut. You can cut. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, everyone's had times when they're like you're out in a field somewhere, and you're like out in nature, and you and you get so locked in, and you go, "Give me a hawk." Hawk flies by. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and you're somehow you're like two seconds ahead of the curve. And you're yeah. Like, oh, and so you know when that's the whole thing. There used to be this, you know, when I was a kid, we were so excited about all the the the, the way music related to relativity, where it related to spiritual things. And then as you get older, it sort of disappears, and people don't talk about it. And they're more concerned with money and. Mm -hmm. And who's, you know, it's, you know, it's like, that's what I was bitch about. It's all like fucking high school. It's like, who's, 
you know, who's the coolest guy in the blind, you know, and it's just, oh, it's so boring, you know, yeah. and you just, and I just wish every day to not have a name, you know, I just wish, I wish I could, you know, be a cloud, you know, doing the music, you know, because I love doing the work, but the rest of the stuff, I just get like, oh, Jesus, you know, yeah. And then, you know, just the, John Swinney just made this book, you know, and now I'm getting mocked by everyone coming back to me out of this book, you know. It's I, like, I I'm had like, to sign it, too. I'm like, it's got a chapter called The Wizard of Piety Street, and that's pretty fucking embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Yeah. And so, you know, you're just thinking Swenson means, well, it's good It's good writing, it's a good book, but it's sort of like, yeah. oh, shit. Do I really have to go there, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, and so whatever, there's some of the stuff... And then Nowrin's, what did he say? And he said, uh, Nowrin's coming to me and say, yeah, you're, you're the guy with the unvarnished gift of gab. I said, that's a beautiful <laughs> line, but, you know, I mean, I don't... So, you know, well, you it's know, tough it's all over. Jimbo, you know, gift of gab. I, I went and did a second interview with Jimbo, right. Jimbo, Jimbo, Jimbo Walsh, and that was a two-and-a-half-hour interview. I hardly said it. Yeah, well, Jimbo, and, uh, <laughs> Jimbo can definitely roll. So uh, the gift of gab, but you know, but it's funny because I said to him, I said some interviews I do with guys are very short. Some people don't want to talk about music, and then that's an idea too. So I try to grill him about that a little bit, make, make him uncomfortable. But but it's an interesting thing because what well, he said, you know, I'm older, hmm. Mark older. Jimbo, <laughs> he the Jimbo can, you know, he has so much stuff to offer, but oftentimes he doesn't because he just goes, you know, why bother. Right. And then, and then you try to do your talking with your work, and then you know people don't. People, it's like I think. Did, I think did, did they even listen to this stuff, or are they just looking and seeing if people wrote about it, and it's something in the world, what? and that's more important to people. Whether yeah. they can say, "There's my friend so and so, and he's now with this," but if and they would, I would say, "Well, what is it that you like that I did in the last couple of years?" And they go. They don't know. I don't know what you did. Yeah, you just I'm you're just light is shining on me because I'm your friend now and this is the driving me fucking nuts, you know. Yeah. But hey, you know. Hey, you know, I imagine <laughs> I think we just it depends what you talk about, the fact of the matter yeah. they're talking about nothing. Because I mean there's things that me and the music I mean, I think it encompasses a lot. Um, uh, the question is whether if it points to the artifact itself or whether it it doesn't. You know, it's like you can well, I mean, you know, the, 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 I just did this record in like 48 blues songs. Now, some of that was so transcendent and so amazing, but it was still, a lot of it was 12 bar. But Taj and Michael White and Kirk Joseph playing this thing together, it was just ridiculous. It was like, what year is this? Who knows? And who cares? What's the vibe? You know, where, what does this mean? It, it means everything because it's got... The form of all this stuff from the 20s and then it's got Kirk who, who invented this style and there he is doing it and then it's got Taj who has for 45 years summarized and more 50 how old he's 70 now, yeah. summarized all of this and, and delved into every culture on earth just about in how it relates to blues so you know to sit there with those guys it's like wow you know, and then you could write a book about that one song and the implications. Yeah. But to sit around and talk about it, it's kind of like it's almost it's like you know. And then there's also the secret club stuff. Like, what is it that you really want to reveal to people? 
out there that because if they don't, you know, people understand music, they understand music, and there's this definitely that the unspoken language, the unity of people that do this together, and the other people aren't in on it. And so to try to explain it to them, sometimes it's like, but there used to be. I mean, I think yeah. about it. They, that's a that's a particular cultural situation. I yeah. Mean, there, since there are places where a lot more people understand music. Oh yeah. Here. Well, New Orleans was one of the reasons I wanted to move here is because it seemed like everyone understood music. But now, you've got two generations of people that no longer play instruments and no longer have carried on that tradition, and they're like they want to they wanted to be rappers and and if they were a musician side where they were the kids from the church and they became programmer, they became Manny Fresh or they became DJ, you know, but they didn't become Donald Harrison or they didn't become Sidney Bechet and they didn't become, you know, King Oliver. They, they you know, they're try, trying for Little Wayne, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a big difference here now and that's why, you know, as we know, New Orleans has been such a transplant scene since we've, you know, I mean, the, the, the we transplants have been carrying the torch and pushing it forward, much to the chagrin of the the overseers, you know. Yeah. Because you know, like I say, you know, there's all you know. What's the jazz fest? It's all those people coming to find the noble savage, you know. And noble savage is gone, baby. Left the bus left a long time ago, you know. Yeah, and uh, who's you know? And I you know I thought this jazz fest was felt good and was kind of a tolerable thing but i don't know why i felt that usually i feel violated by it and this year i didn't so but did you deal with the actual festival yeah it was horrible i rode my bike over there with benjamin and then i had to get into play and then they gave me shit about that and then i went on stage and i didn't have my pass yet and they tried to kick me off the stage and i'm going yo why would i walk out here on this stage looking for my instrument if i wasn't gonna play well i bet you need a pass i'm like what <laughs> you know and it was that kind of shit and they so held you, so you don't think they're good at artist relations oh my god are they bad at that oh my god <laughs> it's just like the worst especially if you're from here <laughs> I'm sure Paul Simon they'll put you know uh, cocaine laced q-tips up his ass if he asks for it but you know uh, and, you know for and then you know and then they, they kept Shannon McNally's uh, you know tour van they wouldn't let, they could say, oh, go to this entrance. It was 15 minutes before we were supposed to go on before they got in the thing, you know? And we we're like, what the fuck? So I'm up on stage trying to get the thing. And then, then you know, they recorded the show, and of course they screwed that all up. So anyway, the Jazz Fest on that level, it's, I'm glad it's so good for so many people, and it's like makes their life complete and all. But uh, it's kind of surreal for me. The good we played, and it was great. Once we got playing, that 45 minutes was killing. And then afterwards, gee, all those same people that were rude before were so nice. Oh, you know, yeah. gee, you, you know, you made spirits come to, on the stage. Thank you. You know, but, you know, beforehand it was like, old schmuck, what are you doing here? You know, <laughs> um, what's your feeling on what's happened on Franklin Street? Oh, what a freaking nightmare. But, you know, all I, well, you know what I see? I see that, I see that, that you know, when, when I get out of here, I'm betting this place will end up being a nightclub, and this area of the Bywater in six years is going to be like Frenchman Street was like eight years ago or ten years. You know, it's all moving in this direction, like it's moving down St. Claude and Frenchman Street. Um, a lot more music, a lot more 
uh, noise, a lot more people, a lot more money. It's like Bourbon Street was, you know, in the 80s, kind of. Oh, yeah, before well, they kicked, when they still had the A bar, and they still had places where you had gigs on Bourbon Street, right? You know, yeah. in the, up to like the early 90s, and then, you know, uh, the powers to be, you know, they were like, oh, music, daiquiri shop. Yeah, daiquiri shop. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, but it's odd because, you know, DBA, that's the price of success. I mean, look at around here. I mean, we come in here, there's nobody freaking around here, and all, and then all this stuff, and now I gotta go outside and go hear the, the bike tour and say, This is where Dave Matthews is, you know. It's like, Ah, oh, Jesus, you know. But um, on the other hand, around here, say it's better than having your car broke into every week, you know. Uh, yeah. So, so the uh, the Williamsburging of uh, the Bywater has its advantages, but uh, but Frenchman Street, too, that uh, you know. I'm glad that it's, you know, Snug Harbor has run basically at a loss with music forever. And they all, you know, they, kept, they could do better if they didn't have any music. Mm-hmm. And, but it's great that whatever we think about the music they choose to present on a regular basis, it's better that it's there than not. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so, and those guys mm-hmm. definitely, I think they believe in that music and it's good to have somebody that has some kind of belief whether it's not what I believe in but you know yeah the, uh, the people that run the place are, are you know, excited about that and yeah. you know and I, I would never I would like to never hear the word jazz ever again yeah I wish it would disappear like mm-hmm. I, I wish cocaine would disappear off the face of the earth and I wish the word jazz would no longer be. I wish it would. I wish it would be like the N word that you just couldn't say it. I mean, because we're it's so into, you know three, four generations of people who think exactly the same thing as you, <laughs> including the people that started the genre. That right. raises me. Like you right. know, guys like Ellington were already you know, yeah it was in like, 1945. Like what? What jazz? We don't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was 1945. I know. You know? It's like, it's like, it's mind numbing. It's, you know, mind yeah. so, so that's the Frenchman Street. Let's go through a couple of a couple of local things that are going on. See what you think. And uh, so we got that one. But I mean, I like DBA. I like you know. There's that club next to DBA. It's horrible. But go ahead. Well, but then there's this stuff going up here on St. Claude Avenue now. Yeah, well, that's cool. I, I, the Always is my favorite. That's my favorite jam. Yeah, I love that place. So I, I get a lot of times I'll be there and it'll be two in the morning and I'll be like coughing and I realize that it's the aroma of the dancers is causing me to choke <laughs> and I've had enough wine so it hasn't really hit me yet but I'm like oh my god yeah this is some ripe shit yeah so anyway that's the, one of the amazing I, I think they do really good stuff in there you know yeah. I mean I, mean, I heard too. some really fun music in there and uh just like the vibe in there, you know, it's like an old. It's like it reminds me of those New York clubs in the seventies, where it's very that, comfortable, you know. I thought the gig I had there on Friday, where it was, it was my my band and my quintet with a uh, oh, striker and Aurora Neeland and Joe and Doug and me, two of my tunes. And all of a sudden, Charlie Sexton and Dickie Landry show up, right? And play, and right? What a play! You know, right. there's this great scene went on. Dicky played, yeah. Well, Dicky heard me playing that really fast piece of music I wrote. That really, uh-huh. I wrote a, this piece called "The Asphalt Is Hard," which is a very, very fast piece of music. Uh-huh. And he comes in, you know, he's getting his horn. He's really into this, you know. And then Joe starts playing some uh, swamp pop tune, and right. <laughs> he says, 
why do you want to play that swamp pop? I want. I came in because I want to play the fast music. <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah, I, Dickie didn't want to play that. It was really pop. fun. It was really fun because, uh, the, the, but yeah, you know, it was. It was great scene that was going on in there. Then all of a sudden, other scene showed up in there. Then we switched the music around completely, and it's a place that's open for that yeah. kind of shenanigans. Oh yeah, to go on. yeah, that's so good. You can really, you know. You can do it. So I got that this 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 set of scenes. I got these new clubs going on, and then what's 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 going on? What's prevalent in the locals that are coming in here now? Sheesh, um, you know, it comes and goes. Like I just I found this. There's this band that plays around a little bit, and it's Dave Malone's daughter Darcy, and I really like. They made these songs, and it, it, this music sounded like you couldn't tell what year it was. The guy, uh, the guitar player and the writer, he's somewhere between like the Dinosaur Junior guy and television. So he plays guitar in this completely incongruous way, which I found interesting. And then uh, the drummer and the bass player sound good. And so I've been trying to like push that through. So to me, you know, that's the kind of stuff that interests me. Like where over the course of a year, I like rehearse with people five or six times and go, you know, got to get an intro got to get an ending got to try the dynamic and pretty soon they do this and then it their whole their whole thing changes and suddenly they know how to go out on the stage and do the thing and that's what that's what I like to do for myself but then in terms of like just recording people you know it's if people are like want to do it and they're into it and they're having fun and when people come in and there it's all about like oh money and we got only got so much time and this is you know and they got to talk to their man you know I'm just so over it mm -hmm. I just have no interest in it at all mm. and uh, and so I mean I worked with this kid is Sam Doors is a good singer and with and Alinda you know who's a great singer and I haven't worked with them but Sam Doors and them were somehow lined up. And, um, you know, the, I can't even remember what happens from month to month now, you know. Mm -hmm. There's so much shit going on. I mean, I just did a Jeremy Lyons record, which he did in, you know, I just. The one, so, with, the one with the guys from. Uh, yeah, yeah, and the guys, but it's mostly just his solo record. And, uh, and you know, it's just. Um, I don't see this recording business going on much longer. And you mean it, your recording business or recording in general? Just in here, even just because it's not. You know, I can't do it much longer the way I've been doing it. I don't want to do it. I mean, I'm trying to hook up this thing to ride my bike across the country, and I want to go out and play gigs. And there's all kind of you know things I'm thinking about that are in the works that. You know, I don't want to talk about it in jinx, you know. Right. But, uh, you know, I like doing this a lot, and I could probably just every day get up and go in here and mix and be perfectly content. But on the other hand, I still, I still got to play some stuff, and I still, there's still some stuff I got to, I want to do, and I want to finish this book, you know. And if I can somehow get this so there's a uh, there's a happy ending or it can go on without me you know I'll just that'll be good because I just can't you know there's only so much of this like you know 70 hour week stuff you can do and after and then you just 
and you know I realize you can't if you're not a hack you don't know how to be a hack and so it's easier for people who are hacks because they they don't give a shit and they can take all kind of dumb gigs for money and do all that but sadly enough I can't do that I don't know how to do it <laughs> right so all right Mark well thanks a lot all right chit chat back to you got my tassel.